Take that perverted dog back to the pub where you bloody found him. Hey, Michelle. Oh, God. <laughs> you look like you've just been through a London heatwave. Well, I tell you what, right now I'm sitting on a, a kind of plastic chair in shorts. So I'm sliding, slipping and a sliding on this little chair. Sticking. Uh, do you know Sticking what? Sticking and a stocking. What? Do you remember when you were a kid and yeah. you would like get into your parents' car, no seatbelts, and it would be vinyl. Yeah. And you would not only get a burn, but it would you would be stuck. Mm. And the sweat would be dripping off you. Oh, my God. Those were the days. The branding <laughs> of the seatbelt, the metal seatbelt. Oh, my on God. On your little... Little legs, yes, I do. You don't need Keith Ranieri when you've got a a seatbelt branding into you, that's for sure. God. Hey, Michelle, welcome to our eavesdropping podcast. She is Michelle. (laughs) And you are Geordie. And do you know what? I will say what there might be some tonight because we are together. Yes. You've just made... Three daiquiris, three incredibly delicious strawberry daiquiris. That's right. Honestly, I've been dreaming of them for weeks. Pretty damn good, I have to say. Frozen, frozen strawberry daiquiris. They go down better than a Kmart slushy when you were fourteen years old. (laughs) Telling you, absolutely delicious. Loving it. I'm glad that you're enjoying my hospitality, Michelle, and I'm enjoying your company. (laughs) Well, the thing is, though, I'm just saying there might be a might be a little little bit of slurring. I'm all right. Maybe. So how how are things? <laughs> What's going on? What's no? Well, obviously I'm in ye old London town, yeah. and the sun is blazing. It's beaten down. Yeah, life is good. How about you? Same, same. Except I'm <laughs> in a really hot, sweaty room right now with all the windows shut, only my blazing lights and all my electronics are on, and I'm here because you know why, Michelle? Because I'm bloody determined to bring these guys these eavesdroppers a bloody good show (laughs) through thick and thin through hot and cold i turn up i turn up (laughs) god damn it i'll turn up for you and you do and you're looking great even if you are stuck to your chair i've got a bit of a glow across my my face as well i'll be sliding off this chair i'm not stuck to it i'm slipping off it it's like i'm sitting in a pool of water hot water at that not nice. Oh dear. So, um, any any latest news gossip? Anything to tell me? Any titbits, Michelle? We love a titbit, a bit of tit. Tit. You know, I did think it was a tit, but it can be either or, a tit or a tit. Yes. A tit bit. No, heard from a loyal eavesdropper, aka Steph, aka my sister. Yeah. Loving gleaming the cube, oh. aka polishing the knob. That was that in was our... from our Gator Rogalski and. It was the murder episode, Lynn Dawson. It was a murder. Yes, it could have been Lynn Dawson and Canberra Cold Case, actually. Was it Leanne Herford? Liz Herford, Liz yes. Herford, that's it. I'm glad you've got a memory. Three daiquiris in and I've got no memory for right. anything. So if you haven't heard that episode, dear eavesdropper, please go back and listen. It's a very exciting story and it's true crime, which, by the way, is what we're doing today. But hold that thought. Because, Michelle, what did what did your sister say? I think you've forgotten to tell us. Steph was, uh, she was just cacking out on the bus. Oh. So she was listening and then you said gleaming the cube in the way that you do. 
And I said, polishing the knob. She pissed herself laughing. She liked Everybody that. was laughing. Everybody laughed. <laughs> we all laughed. <laughs> you know, we did have a message from a long-time eavesdropper, oh, Lizzie yeah. Beacon. She said she's still loving the pod and Great. she especially loves the missing persons episodes. Does she, Michelle? Well, that's a jolly good job we're doing true crime today then, isn't it? I know. And then, you know, she gave me a wonderful link to a really, actually very sad police resource, British police resource, which is an online database of bodies and remains of people who are unidentified. Oh, no. Sometimes it's just a tattoo on an arm. Mm. That's all they got. Or a police, what do they call it? Etch-a-sketch? No. What is it? It's not called an etch-a-sketch. That's something you would get for Christmas in 1978. You're talking about an e-fit. An e-fit. Yes. Yeah, sometimes it's just an e-fit of what they think the person might look like. So they're appealing for anyone who might know who these mysterious unidentified people are who are dead so they can be identified that's a very very cold and sad case isn't it it's heartbreaking really and actually i do need to look into it more deeply to see how i can use it for the pod so thank you lucy beacon you're a gem thanks lb thanks for that now lb that stands for little bitch doesn't it that's what we call you oh (laughs) lucy beacon you got the same (laughs) initial anyway we'll move on well then lucy does go on to say when she was a kid this is a lighter note from Lucy, I will okay, say. Okay, good. Yeah. She had a crazy old lady that lived next door to her. Didn't we all? <laughs> she was called My Nana. Oh, Only Nana. joking, Nana. Only joking. R.I.P. Nana. So she had a crazy old lady next door to her who had a, do you say tortoise or tortoise? Tortoise. tortoise. Yes. Tortoise. Anyway, tortoise. You can say what you like, Michelle. Called Sammy. Yeah. Which she used to talk to in the garden. And then when Sammy Sammy died, she buried him in a shallow grave, so his shell was uncovered. Oh, God. She then used to go and talk to dead Sammy and polish his shell to keep him looking nice. And Lucy wonders, do we have any funny pet stories from when we were kids? Funny pet stories where our pets funnily died? Any funny pet stories, because I'll I'll kick this off. Okay. Steph, a.k.a. my sister, will remember this. It's quite disgusting. We're a cat family. We've always been a cat family. But we once had a dog called Diggy. Yeah. And one time my dad brought home, yeah, Diggy the dog. Yeah, from the pub. Won it in a raffle. (laughs) Probably or worse. That's how we got our puppy. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. So Diggy came home and my older sister was just getting to that age. And this is gross, but sorry, people. It's fact. She was getting to that age where you'd have discharge in your pants. Christ, why are we talking about this, Michelle? Well, because she would throw her undies in the washing basket and you know what Diggy would do? He would dig right into that washing basket, sniff out her undies and chew the crotch out of them. <laughs> All her pants. Diggy lasted two weeks before oh, Jen made Dad take that dog back. Take that perverted dog back to the pub where you bloody found him. Open your eyes. You get rid of that crotch-chewing dog (laughs) out of this house. I'm not sure that your sister will love us talking about her prepubescent discharge. Not sure if that should stay in. (laughs) What else do you you call it? You might regret that. Well, it's a discharge. There's no other word for it. 
Well, Michelle, I don't have any stories quite as disgusting as that one that I can recall off the top of my head, but I'm sure there were loads. I just have to have a little think about it. I mean, I've told this on the podcast before. My brother and I loved animals, loved them, and we'd find them all the time because we lived in quite a rural area. It was coastal, but it was rural, so we had things like little bush ducks and things which we'd rescue (laughs) and have for two days before the poor things died. There was a chicken once which we named and kept in a cage in our basement. It sounds awful, I know, but we did love the chicken. And I used to go out and catch lizards Mm. and keep them and name them and stuff. I was very good at catching them. At first, they lose the end of their tail, but after a while, I knew how to catch them and keep them. I'd keep them for a few days, and guess what? The bastards died on me. Oh, I had Christopher, the yellow budgie, (laughs) which turned out to be a girl. I had all sorts of pets, so many pets, fish, mice. We had mice, actual mice as pets. My friend Tiffany, she had a pet rat, and... She was a bit hippy-dippy back in our university days. The rat's name was Byron. Byron lived in her armpit. And the only way she could feed Byron was by chewing food and then offering it to Byron in her mouth. So Byron Byron would eat out of her mouth. (laughs) So I've seen it. You know, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was in a film called... Suburbia, which is bloody brilliant. Penelope Spheris film from the 80s about a load of punk misfits from the suburbs of LA and Flea's in it and he's got a rat and he lets it drink the saliva from inside his mouth. Mm. So I have heard that before. But what I want to say to you, Michelle, is thank you. Ting, ting, ting. That's the second disgusting thing that you have said and we're only (laughs) 11 minutes in. Well, then I'll tell you my last pet story then, which is not disgusting. Like I said, we had cats. I can't remember who had this genius idea, but there was a cat cutout made out of metal and it was black. And we put mirrors for eyes on this cat and we would put it on the road and then we would just wait to see which cars would like screech the tires and stop and which would just run it over. That's a recipe for disaster. Well, it wasn't fun. I mean, we were kids. Come on. So we had this cat on the road and we were hiding, watching. We were just pissing ourselves laughing. People would get out and they'd be like, God damn it, it's a metal cat. And they'd kick it and all sorts. Mm. But anyway, our claim to fame as kids was because in Australia, and I don't, you must remember this, every week there was a kid's police half hour with Constable Kenny Koala. I don't recall. Okay, maybe it was a Canberra thing. Maybe it wasn't nationwide. <laughs> I'm not sure if I know Constable Kenny. Constable koala. Kenny Koala. He ha- he was a little furry uh, koala like toy with a police hat and a little police vest on. Anyway, he'll come on, come on every week and say, oh. He was a right constable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'd come on and he'd be like, oh, stranger danger or, oh, you've got to be wearing your bike helmet, whatever. And every week they had... A segment which was low act of the week. We got it. You were that. We got low act of the week. All because we were making motorists stop because they were trying to save a metal cat. You must have been pretty fucking proud of yourselves, you little bastards. We loved it. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, thank you, Lucy Beacon. I hope you had some uh, enjoyment from our pet stories. I'll wreck off you, Dag. <laughs> Piss off. No, I can bury it. fucked. See, See you next Tuesday. Tuesday. Give me black dog up. Yeah. So this week, Michelle, like I said, it's true crime. True crime murder. time. We like murder. 
Mere. Mere. So I'm going to kick it off today. <laughs> I'm kicking it off today because I want to tell you a little bit. I mean, it's never fun, the murder stories, and apologies in advance to all of you who are, who are of a delicate constitution, but I do know a lot of you delicato, little delicato balls out there. <laughs> Do love the murders. I mean, we try not to get too descriptive, although I think Michelle might like to get really descriptive later, but we'll we'll put the warning bell on if you're eating or... Juice dropping. Juice dropping. So today, Michelle, I would like to tell you about incels. Yeah, look, they creep me out. I'm so excited to hear what you're going to talk about. Well, Michelle Just seems to know already creepy. what an incel is. I know what incels are, but come on, let's go. Let's, let's take it away. Well, incel is shorthand for involuntarily celibate. So basically, it's people who essentially can't get laid. Can't get a root. They identify themselves by their inability to establish sexual partnerships and they're predominantly men seeking heterosexual sex. But there is such a thing as femcells, Michelle. Ladies who feel the same way. A typical self-identifying incel will be recognised by the following qualities. Self-loathing. Anti-feminists, so I don't know how that works for the femcell. I guess maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're misogynists. Is that right? Who, who are people who hate men? Yeah, misogynists. I'm not sure if I've got that right. I'm feeling a bit confused. Anyway, also vocally advocating violence against women, advocating the removal of women's rights and racism. So all round a bit shit. Yeah. What a catch. <laughs> no wonder you can't get laid. Exactly. Insult for a reason. But thanks to social media chat rooms and forums, incels can use these platforms such as Reddit, Facebook, 4chan to offload their hatred, their frustrations and ease their loneliness, often while being encouraged to act upon their usually violent desires to wipe out the chads, I'm doing air quotes, and Stacey's also doing another set of air quotes there, which are names used for the popular sexually attractive people, the chads and the Stacey's. Oh, boo-hoo. Fucking grow up. Anyway, I love this. Keep going. Well, basically, they're being encouraged by their other forum users to Mm. take them out and take with them as many innocent victims as possible. What? And they're actively encouraging this kind of behaviour on those forums. So it's not just moaning and whinging. It's actually harming. Let's go harm. Like, I hate I hate the world. It's so unfair. I want to kill all the Chads and Stacys. And other people are saying, why be so selfish? Why not take out a whole bunch of kids with you as well? And, you know, take out, take out the whole street, take out the whole mall or whatever. Mm-hmm. They believe in something, Michelle, called the black pill theory, which is the idea that they are genetically disadvantaged, which is kind of a fatalistic ideology that for those who believe in this, feel as though life is very unfairly rigged against them. And it's just set in stone and that's the way it is. It's very sad, very lonely place to be. Do you know what? If you're born not particularly attractive, I get it. But there's someone for everyone. You know, yeah, you just got to be a nice person. But when you're full of like hatred and not just self-loathing. And skewed ideas. Yeah, then really, like these are the type of people that probably like get a gun and, you know, shoot up a school. Just anyway, yeah, as well. That's what kind of where we're going with this, Michelle. No, no. Jumping ahead. When you live in an age of social media where pretty privilege and perfect times are portrayed by perfect photos of perfect people, yes, Mm. it would fuel feelings of loneliness even further 
thus isolating the incel and warping their view of the real world. We all know it's all fake, though, you know, all that social media shit. Some people don't, and even if we do know it's fake, I think often people still want to aspire to that. Or maybe it's become so normalised, you know, those gorgeous girls and gorgeous guys and ripped bods and great lives. It's filters. just filters, fil- fakes and filters. But anyway. Some people can't separate the facts from the fiction, I think. Mm, yeah. But going back to the incels and their groups, they have been recently aligned with the new alt-right, which is the alternative right-wing community that spawned from the MAGA, the Trump, the QAnon-style far-right. There was even mm-hmm. a documentary recently that Louis Theroux did, which was quite enlightening and shocking, about alt-right very young men because the thing is the incels and the alt-right do share similarities such as gallows humor and a hatred of women and ethnic minorities god it's all very cute isn't it so let's go to santa barbara in california on the evening of the 23rd of may 2014 elliot roger trigger warning stabbed three men seemingly one at a time as they all arrived at his apartment Around three hours later, he drove to a sorority house where he tried and failed to gain entry. So he shot three women outside, two of whom died. Then he drove past a nearby deli and shot to death a male student who was inside. He then began to drive through Isla Vista, shooting and wounding several pedestrians from his car as well as ramming people with the car. The police then turned up and he exchanged gunfire with police twice and was injured in the hip. After his car crashed into a parked vehicle, he was found dead inside with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Now, before this rampage, Roger uploaded a video on YouTube where he outlined his attack and motives and explained that he wanted to punish women for rejecting him, as well as chads, you know, popular men, because he envied them. He also emailed his so-called manifesto to acquaintances, his therapist and family members. This guy wild huh you're speechless michelle i am because i feel like we've talked about a similar thing maybe it was a norwegian guy back in season one or beginning of season two who went on a similar rampage just killing senselessly Mm. well i hate to say it this guy wasn't the first and he certainly wasn't the last to do such a thing Mm. so this manifesto that he wrote to all these people went into details about his childhood, his family conflict, his hatred of women and frustration over his inability to find a girlfriend. And he also showed contempt for couples, especially interracial couples, despite the fact that his mother and father were an interracial couple. His father's Uh an Englishman and his mother, I think she was from Singapore or I don't remember. So in this manifesto, he outlined his plans for his retribution. So he, he was British by birth and he moved to the States with his parents who both worked in the film industry and were quite successful as well. His dad, Peter Roger, is known for his 2009 documentary film, Oh My God, as well as his work as a second unit director on The Hunger Games. And he's won a number of awards. And he's from Tenterden in Kent, which is somewhere that I'm quite familiar with. Yes, that's very near where you spent a lot of time. But back to Elliot Roger... He had seen throughout his childhood, and his parents did split up when he was seven, but it sounds like he had a really privileged upbringing, but he had Mm. seen multiple therapists since he was eight years old. But his attorney said he had never been formally diagnosed with mental illness. Now, I'm not quite sure how he got an attorney because he was dead. I mean, who knows? There's a glitch in my story. Sorry. (laughs) I will ask, did you see a picture of this guy? Yes, I did. 
Handsome? Yeah. I didn't think he was bad looking, but as you'll go on to find out, he was diagnosed with pervasive, de- pervasive develop. Oh my god, pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. That's the name of it. All of those words, Michelle. Right. It's an autism spectrum disorder, and he was diagnosed with this in two thousand and seven. Okay. Hold that thought. I'm not trying to say that people with autism spectrum, like on the ASD, autism spectrum disorder, have a tendency to commit these kind of crimes. So hold that thought. We're going to Toronto in 2018. It's in Canada, obviously Toronto, April 23. A rented van was driven along Yong Street through the North York City Centre business district. And the driver was a man called Alec Manassian. And he targeted pedestrians, killing 11 and injuring 15, some with critical life-threatening injuries. Nine of those victims were women. Did any of them die? Eleven. Oh, jeez. Eleven of them died. So nine of those victims were women. Manassian attempted to commit suicide by cop, which, as you know, is when they pretended that he had a gun on him and he didn't. Mm. But the cops didn't fall for it. So they arrested him. At the time of his arrest, Manassian described himself as an incel to the police and in social media postings. He pleaded not criminally responsible to the 10 counts of first degree murder, 10 counts? I thought there was 11. Another little hole in my story there. Sorry about that. (laughs) And 16 counts of attempted murder in November 2020, not long ago, but was found guilty on all counts in March 21 and was sentenced in June 22 to life in prison. Now, did he identify as an incel? Yes, he did. I just said that. He identified as an incel and he had an Asperger's diagnosis, unfortunately. Then we're moving on to Kiam in Plymouth, in Devon, in the UK. So you might remember this. It's the Plymouth Massacre. And it was only in 12th of August last year, 2021. 22-year-old Jake Davison shot and killed five people and injured two others before fatally shooting himself. And he started at home with his mum, 51-year-old mother. And he had an argument and he shot her in the head. Then he left the house and trigger warning. Witnesses described him with a pump-action shotgun And he shot and killed a man in the street and his three-year-old daughter. Then he injured a 53-year-old woman and her 33-year-old son in a house before shooting and killing a 59-year-old man who was walking his dogs in a nearby park. Davison did not know any of the victims apart from his mother. And then he went to another street, shot and fatally wounded a 66-year-old woman. And he told a passing resident at the time that there was nothing to worry about before shooting himself to death. Oh, my God. This lasted 12 minutes, this deadly rampage. And he uploaded videos to YouTube beforehand and he would reference Inceldom, Inceldom, and the Black Pill worldview and also nihilistic behaviour. And in his last video, Davison described himself as beaten down and defeated by life and said, I wouldn't clarify myself as an incel, but have talked to people similar to me who have had nothing but themselves. He was a busy Reddit user Mm. and he had his account suspended a day before the shooting for making inappropriate comments to a 16-year-old American female Reddit user who he had an ongoing friendship with online. But he began to try and start a relationship with her and was persistently asking to have sex with her throughout the conversation. She said it's too much and she reported him. He had previously expressed misogynistic and homophobic views and he was in deep despair and furious with his mother and felt like a failure at not being able to find a girlfriend. 
How is that his mum's hmm? fault? You know? Well, it's not his mum's fault, but I think he just, she's a woman. And I guess after a while, you just yeah. you kind of pour it all into the nearest person to you. They used to be really close, according to witnesses. Social media posts from about 2018 also suggest that he was a fan of the former US President Donald Trump and the alt-right. Q, 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 Q. And you did mention 4chan earlier. You know, it all link, link, links. It's just this terrible infection that social media has become of people finding each other, other people with stronger wills, enforcing it on on people who are lonely. Mm. I find it quite poisonous. Anyway, going back to Jake Davison, he did describe himself as, in quotes, autistic or whatever, end quotes. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this Asperger's link because it was really sad that all of them, and even a lot of the school shootings that you'll hear about relate back to certain Asperger's qualities. Okay. Experts are clear that Asperger's doesn't make a person more likely to commit violent crime. And people with autism spectrum disorders, ASD, we call them from now on, they struggle with their communication, which makes it difficult for them to form close relationships with people. That would make you so isolated. Yeah. And they have difficulty feeling like part of a group. Again, isolation, loneliness inability to communicate so what do you go where do you what do you do you go online and then I think they find it really easy to be influenced by other people that's their group that's their home yeah and you've got people saying just kill yourself and take loads of people with you they may be inclined to just do it do it it's very sad it's shocking the psychologist's in the reports that I read, Mm. agree that people with autism or Asperger's are not more likely to commit violent crimes than members of the general population. But obviously, in rare cases, it can happen. There's no evidence that people with ASD are more violent than those without. And like I said, you know, school shootings and mass killings, generally speaking, are carried out by individuals with neurodevelopmental disorders. But usually what will happen, you'll have a lot of warning indicators flashing before your eyes Mm -hmm. so it's it's down to really paying attention to the signs these people who are not socially driven or able to interact with ease and have led down that road of isolation and loneliness coupled with they're all young people young men teen angst that's a heady brew waiting to explode all those hormones exactly there's an article written by a woman called sarah kerchak which is in a fashion online fashion magazine she identifies as an autistic person and she says in her article that Australian TV presenter Don Burke do you remember him? <gasps> Burke's back Burke's yeah. Back, yeah. yeah he attempted to blame accusations of harassment against him on his autism I didn't know about Me that either. in his 2011 memoir Julian Assange tried to this is what she wrote hand wave away his rape allegations by quipping that he is a little bit autistic. And just last month, an English, I don't know when this is written, an English judge took a teenager's autism spectrum disorder diagnosis into account when sentencing him for posting bomb-making instructions on neo-Nazi forums and downloading indecent images of children. No, So sorry. No. Sarah goes on to say that many of her autistic friends can't bear the thought of hurting others. Many of us, she says, can feel empathy for others, sometimes overwhelmingly so. Many of us care very deeply for other humans and for fairness and justice, regardless of whether we experience or demonstrate empathy in the same way as our non-autistic counterparts saying that though the research suggests that autistic people might be 
more likely to be radicalized by online hate groups. As you said, it, the isolation and loneliness and not being it able to connect. Up. So they're, yeah. I can see that they're getting acceptance and a feeling of family by having an online community. So what Sarah was ultimately saying as well was that she just doesn't like, and fair enough, the whole rug sweeping of autism and Asperger's being to blame for incel horror and alt-right terror and mass school shootings and all of that. It does seem to be made something of the fact that each of these people, they were loners, they were unable to make friends, and usually it's because of a diagnosis or a perceived diagnosis, but they want to make it clear that that is not a trait, and I back that 100%, because often these violent behaviours can be the result of a traumatic or difficult childhood. Yep. I'm going to take you now to finally... On our journey around the world, <laughs> our horrifying, <laughs> our horrifying tour of mass shootings and killings around, around the, world the world in eighty murders. Eighty murders. Jesus. We're in Montreal now. In Ooh, uh, back to Canada. Yeah, back in Canada, December nineteen eighty nine. Quite a long time ago, Ecole Polytechnique massacre. It was called, also known as the Montreal massacre, which was an anti-feminist mass shooting in the College of Montreal, Quebec. 14 women were murdered, 10 further women and four men were injured. A man called Marc Lapine, armed with a legally obtained Ruger Mini 14 semi-automatic rifle and a hunting knife, entered a mechanical engineering class and ordered the women to one side of the classroom, telling the men to leave. He announced he was fighting feminism, then shot all nine women in his room in the room, killing six. He shouted to one of the victims as she tried to defend herself, you're all a bunch of feminists. I hate feminists. His suicide note blamed feminists for ruining his life and included a list of 19 radical feminists that he would have killed if he'd had time. Lapine then went round the college, including the cafeteria and another classroom, specifically targeting women to shoot for just under 20 minutes before he committed suicide. His father, who was only in his life for a brief period of time but long enough to do the damage was a terrible role model for this young boy he had no respect for women treated both mark and his mother really badly discouraging any tenderness between the two and then he left so this obviously had marked with at a young age yeah. I mean, obviously you can you can turn that shit around but in this guy's case that plus god knows what else was going on in his life it imploded yeah. And these people died. Oh, you know, I just keep thinking of, tell me why I don't like Mondays. Yeah, exactly. That's probably, that's a true story as well. It is, it is. And I, I'm trying to remember the true story behind that Bob Geldof song, but maybe put a pin in that for another time. Because again, school shooting, when it's very targeted against hatred towards women and People of, of certain cultures, it's yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. When it's terrifying. People get something in their mind that they don't like and that's it. Mm. They're on a mission. Yep. And, yeah. I mean, there's no excuse for Mark Lapine. He didn't have any pressure groups encouraging him. But he must have had a pretty shit role model in his father. I mean, I can't speak mm. for sure. I wasn't there. But reports do say that he wasn't great. Incels. Alt-right. Incels. Bad. Bad. Bad eggs. Bad eggs, mate. Don't go there. She made it awkward. She made, made it awkward. awkward. She 
did I make it awkward? Awkward, awkward. She dare you. Awkward, awkward. Awkward, awkward. How bloody awkward. Well, this is awkward. How bloody awkward. Right, well, as I said earlier, Lucy Beacon, thank you for your message. And look, Lucy Beacon is from East London. Oh, and knees up, Mother Bran. Oh. A what? Knees up, Mother Bran. Under the table you must go. E-I-E-I-E-I-O. Or my old man said, follow the van. Don't dilly-dally on the way. You know, all those great <laughs> East End songs. I remember my old man. Ike Dilly Ike Dike. Brown bread. <laughs> Get off me, Barra. Sorry. <laughs> it's a sing oh my song. God. Well, she's an East Londoner through and through, she is. So, Lucy Beacon, this next story is for you because I'm going to take you back to East London in March 1975. I think London at that time must have been an absolutely fucking superb place to be. I reckon. Just before punk broke platforms, flares, good times, disco, punk rock. All going on. Yeah, you know, free love, all that stuff. And, you know, it was certainly the place to be for a gorgeous playboy bunny called Eve Stratford. Now, I've seen photos of Eve and she was stunning. Her mother was German, her father was British, and she had a bit of a, a Nico look, except busty and with a big smile but she was undeniably beautiful and as a kid she even won like beauty pageants and stuff when she lived in Germany. The family did move to the UK in the late 60s and in 1972 Eve and her boyfriend Tony Priest who was the lead singer of a band called Onyx from what was their big hit? Well, they didn't have a big hit, but they did have some tunes oh. that were picked up by Radio 1. And apparently they even supported Onyx. Queen and Thin Lizzy. So they were doing okay, but not well enough for them to live off it because Tony had to take a job as a forklift driver. So he wasn't right. home during the days. So Eve and Tony moved together, uh, moved in together to Leighton which is northeast London, which is, it's east, but it's northeast yeah. London. So not quite where... Not the heart of it. Eastenders, but it is east London. They were sharing a house with two other dudes from the band. And Eve wanted to be a model. But while she was trying to make that happen, she was working as a Playboy club bunny in Park Lane mm-hmm. in London. And by all accounts, she was a bit of a favourite with the celebs um, that would come in. And there are pics of her online with people like Sid James, who's the wrinkly one from all the Carry yep. On films. The wrinkly one. Yeah, he was. He wasn't a looker. <laughs> but he was very popular you. with the ladies, Sid James. Well, he was. Well, and certainly he was in that Playboy club quite a bit, by all accounts. And there are pictures of her with Eric Morecambe, who was a famous Morecambe comedian Wise, back yep. in the day in Britain. The modelling thing never really happened and it sort of turned more into a page three pin-up kind of thing. And in early March in 1975, Eve starred as the cover girl and girl of the month in a top shelf jazz mag, aka, yeah, soft porn mag, called Mayfair magazine, which 
the Playboy Club was not too happy about. Oh, because it was a direct competition. Yeah, she was in breach of contract because she didn't get a gear off for Playboy. She did it for Mayfair Mag. So she was suspended from a job. At this point, Eve actually had quite a lot of time on her hands. And, you know, she wasn't working. We'll fast forward to Tuesday, 18th of March, 1975. And Eve had spent the day running errands and doing things like going to Camden to see her agent. She took a meeting at a promotions consultancy in Bayswater. And then she headed home on her own around 3.30pm. When she got to Leighton Stone Tube, she apparently walked home to her flat. And she stopped on the way to buy some flowers. And by all accounts, she wasn't with anyone. No one appeared to be following her. She didn't talk to anyone. And we think when she got home, there was no one else in the house because Tony was still at his forklift job. The other two housemates weren't home. And according to the woman who lived below Eve and Tony and the bandmates, she says she actually heard a male and a female voice Mm. talking calmly to each other at around 4.30 p.m., Mm. followed by a thud and then the the sound of footsteps. And I guess I should do a trigger warning here because people, as you can probably tell... She was murdered. (laughs) Why am I laughing? That's not funny, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Murdered. Sorry, yes. Things didn't go well for Eve. She was murdered. So trigger warning. You've been warned. Mm -hmm. It was around 5.20 p.m. when Tony had finished his job and he got home to the flat. So probably about an hour and a half or so since Eve got home. When he walked through the door, Eve wasn't in the living room. She wasn't in the kitchen. So he thought she might have been upstairs taking a nap. But when he opened the door to the bedroom, trigger, he saw Eve lying face down on a mattress that was beside the bed. And and look, I don't know why there was a mattress beside the bed, but apparently there was. Maybe the perpetrator put it there. Maybe. But trigger warning, there was blood everywhere. So a nylon stocking was tied around one ankle. Both of her hands were tied behind her back bound with a scarf and she was wearing this gauzy pink bra and pants undies and this flimsy little blue nylon negligee that was completely kind of ripped open at the front and then really big trigger warning so turn off if you don't want to hear some grizzle grizzly gore trigger warning. oh sorry pet trigger what was that you might want to put down that sandwich She'd had her throat slashed eight to 12 times from ear to ear, nearly severing her head from her body. Lord. And she'd been sexually assaulted. Semen was found on her and inside her body. So, look, the weird thing here, aside from all that horrific stuff, is that there was no sign of forced entry into the flat. Nothing had been stolen. There were no signs of a struggle. And there was no murder weapon left at the scene. And apparently, according to police, there was this weird, strange, cloying, sweet smell in the bedroom that the police believe was 
a smell from her murderer. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it was aftershave or something, but there was just a, a really strange smell. But apart from that, they didn't really have many clues. That was a really violent murder, Michelle, but how come that neighbour thought it was just casual talking and then a thud? Well, look, there are some theories. I'm going to go into that in a, in a moment because, and look, this, this next bit of info is mainly from Wikipedia, but apparently police were convinced at the time that Eve's photo shoot where she had posed naked in Mayfair Mag, there was an interview as well, they think that was what ultimately led to her murder mm. and they believe that the killer had traced her dress from clues she'd given in this interview and then attacked her. And one of the reasons they came to this conclusion is because apparently in the interview, Eve said she liked to be sexually submissive. And this is a quote from the article. And look, I'll just preface this by saying nobody ever asks to be murdered. You can have whatever sexual preferences you want. There is absolutely, absolutely. no justification yeah. in this. But remember, we are talking about the 70s, yeah. right? So she apparently said, if a man is truly a man and not effeminate in any way, he'll know how to handle me. I like to be dominated, not whipped and tied up or things like that, but just kept in my place. I get very bored with straight sex. I like playing little games with my lovers to turn us both on. And then she said as well that she found it quite easy to turn men on. And that she tended to flirt and tease rather a lot. And that she got a kick out of turning men on. As well as saying that she was bisexual and she liked men and women. Mm -hmm. And like I said, remember, this is 1975. It's quite progressive so, to say that in a magazine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would say that when it, that was pretty risque thing to say. Especially knowing that loads of guys were going to be like, you know... Jack and one off to the article Do you and know, the photos. Something that did stand out to me though, Michelle, and it kind of harks back to the story that I just told. She mm. said she almost was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Calling out any effeminate men. A little bit, yeah. And that to yep. some men could be emasculation. Yep, and a red flag yeah. that she needs to be put in her place and not sexually, but yeah. murder. So apparently she also said in this article that she lived alone with her cat. Now, I don't know why she would say that more than maybe to appear in the article that she was available and single. I don't know. It sounds like all a bit of a role play, to be honest, the whole article. Well, you know, I mean, do you remember back in the day, like, you know, gay film stars would pretend that they were straight. So, you know, they wouldn't put fans off maybe it's a case of that as well. well I don't know I'm wondering if she even wrote it well maybe not who knows who knows but the police at the time did think that these comments did lead to her murder and they did that perhaps somebody really did think that she lived alone not with her boyfriend Tony and, mm. her, and her housemates going back to the murder scene they didn't find any like defense wounds on her body and no one heard any screaming which led to police thinking that maybe Eve knew her killer but I'm not so sure about this because what if whoever killed her didn't follow her home but had actually broken into the house beforehand and was waiting for her and if that was the case 
when she opened the door, she might have been really fucking scared but and threatening to scream, which is why she had her throat slashed. Mm. Or she could have been so terrified that she just complied with the killer and just did as she was told. Yeah. Uh, who knows? And remember how I said she bought a bunch of flowers on the way home from the tube? Well, apparently this bunch of flowers was found in the hallway at the ground floor entrance, not up in her first floor room, which to me indicates that she got a shock and dropped those flowers. Mm. So the killer was either inside the apartment or maybe lurking around near the front door as she came in and then barged away his way in while she was opening the door. And as you can imagine, look, detectives were all over this case you know, here was this gorgeous, glamorous playboy bunny murdered in cold blood. So they were looking into whether she'd had like a secret lover who ended up killing her. But in the end, they dismissed that idea um, because they thought it was too close to the time that Tony could have come home. You know, he could have got off work, you know, 10 minutes early and, and been home. So they sort of don't think that it was a, a secret lover. And another theory is that she knew her killer and let them in. Yeah. Which sounds plausible because, you know, you think, like, what if there was an obsessed client from the Playboy Club Mm. or a jealous friend, you know, a guy friend who was kind of like, you know, if I can't have you, no one will. So, you know, she... Or an employer. Known the person. Yeah. Look, anyone that she had known or maybe an acquaintance, who knows... But apparently uh, some of the bunny girls interviewed had said that Eve had had dirty phone calls in the lead up to the murder from an unknown caller and in fact had received three heavy breathing hang up kind of phone calls on the day she died. Eve had also apparently complained to some of her bunny pals about a guy who had been lurking near her house and who had been following her in the weeks leading up to this. And he had a a stiff walk, is how she described it. But this didn't lead to anything. And there were also rumours that an associate from the club had tried to run over Eve with his car as she left the bunny club a few months earlier. But again, this also led to nothing. Yeah, just... I think she was just probably beautiful and bright and full of energy and people maybe got a bit obsessed with her again it's relating back you know to people who are jealous of that like the, the incels who mm. just have to snuff it out because it's not fair yep. you've got the looks you've got the charisma i have been struck by yep. this darwinian hit with the ugly stick ugly stick exactly <laughs> and it's not fair yeah well you know this is what the police were sort of going on at the time that they thought it was somebody that she knew and who maybe just couldn't handle that she was now on magazines and just wanted to snuff her life out. I can't stop thinking about the smell in the room, the cloying smell. Yeah, well, a detail I, I didn't mention about this person that tried to run her over a few months earlier was they say he was Arab. And you know how Arabs often have this oud smell? Yeah. I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't mean to say that in any kind of racist way, but culturally they they do have, they wear oud, which is very strong. It's Mm. quite cloying, but 
I don't know if we want to make that connection. Right, fair enough. Because I deliberately didn't put that it was an Arab that had tried to run her over. Mm-hmm. The police obviously went hard on searching for the murder weapon around where she lived. And they were looking in bins and gardens and whatever, and they didn't find it. But what they did find was a ripped up copy of Mayfair magazine <gasps> with her on the cover. No. But it was also with another pile of porno mags. So they don't no. know if that was related. But right. somehow the police did manage to create two, as you said, not Eka sketch, photo fit <laughs> pictures of a, <laughs> of a couple of guys who were seen in the vicinity of Eve's flat on the day she was murdered. But again, that did not turn up any leads. Although in October in 1975, um, police in Liverpool found newspaper like cuttings of Eve's murder smeared with lipstick in an empty bedsit along with magazine pictures of her what? that had been that had been stabbed with a dart. Oh my but god. Th- again, that also came to nothing. And by 1976... How did all this, all this, how did it all come to nothing? I know. They're not doing something. They're missing something. Well, they just did not know who murdered Eve. And the investigation basically got wrapped up until 2007 when new DNA technology unexpectedly showed a link between two murders that were committed in 1975. Eve and a 16-year-old schoolgirl called Lynn. Um, Now, they were... This DNA showed conclusively that these two murders were committed by the same person. Wow. And and as a result, Eve's case was reopened. Uh Uh-huh. So, I'll just just go back to the the schoolgirl murder... On the 3rd of September in 1975, six months after Eve was murdered, on the other side of London in Hounslow, 16-year-old schoolgirl Lynn Whedon had gone out with mates to celebrate her O-level results at a nearby pub. At 11 o'clock, she decided to head home. And, you know, it wasn't far from where she lived, so she just decided to walk home on her own. Now... I read a report that said normally she was pretty sensible about not going down dark alleys, but for some reason she took the shortcut down a dark alley that Mm. night. And trigger warning, at around 11.20 that night, she was hit over the head with what they assume was a bit of lead pipe. It fractured her skull. Her attacker then threw her over some gates into the grounds of the adjoining power substation to where the alley was before dragging her out of sight and raping her. Oh, my God. And she was discovered still alive the next morning. But she died a week later in hospital without ever regaining consciousness. I hate that. And look, around the time of her murder, a white male had been seen walking down that alleyway and police think this mystery man was her murderer so who is this guy you know is he a serial killer how has he managed to evade police for so long over the years and and look they have had fresh appeals for for information about lynn and eve Mm. and appeals for anyone who had information to come forward but it's all come to nothing. I mean, they even put a £40,000 reward out in 2007. God. And, and look, 
you know, we're talking about 1975. Yeah. If this murderer, this murderer could be dead by now. Yeah. You know, and if he's not dead, he's still out there living this life. Mm-hmm. Like, having committed two basically perfect murders and got away with them. Mm. And they are no closer to finding who murdered these two women. And and the, the hallmarks of the murders are very different. But they're the same person. Yep. The only thing that links them is this conclusive DNA evidence. Right. And there had been talk that maybe it was Peter Sutcliffe. Right. I was going to say. Who was serial killer at the time but he's been ruled out Well, they would have had his dna exactly and there is no one on file with this dna profile Mm. so and no other murders linked well there are other murders that could be a possibility there's a woman called elizabeth paravincina Mm. and she was murdered on the 9th of september 1977 she was 27 years old she was murdered only one mile away from where Lynn, the schoolgirl, was murdered and in similar circumstances. And people are saying that there could be a link between these two murders because she had walked home late at night um, before turning down a dark alley where she was attacked. Like schoolgirl Lynn, her skull was fractured. Uh-huh. And like Lynn, her body was dragged away from the street into some shrubs. But they say that there was no sexual misconduct with the body. But it could have been that he fled the scene before he had a chance to sexually assault her. But in a way similar to Eve, this girl, Elizabeth Paravincina, she was blonde and gorgeous and quite glamorous. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's two MOs here. Right. But the bottom line is, you know, after a bit of a police manhunt for the murderer of Elizabeth and photo fits and all that stuff, again, all led to nothing. Oh, so these are the cold cases that all these years later, even with DNA, they've got a clue, but they don't have that last piece of yeah. evidence that could put someone away or link it all together. And look, maybe this whole 23 and Me might turn something up in the future. For sure. But as it is, we've got another unsatisfying cold case. Oh, and it's man. all for you, Lucy Beacon. Well done. Thanks, Michelle, for telling us about that. That is truly horrifying, but very yeah. fucking interesting at the same time. Eavesdropping. 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 Show notes, Shelly. She's going to put all the links in the show notes. So have a look. Well, with that uh, bright, inspiring story and the one before it about lots and lots of murders, I hope that everyone's not feeling too frightened in their beds tonight. Just don't walk down any dark alleys, people. (laughs) Late at night. Have your wits about you. Have your Put wits your car keys in your, in your fists. In your, between your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> My English teacher told me how to do that and I still do it to this day. I think I learned about that at school as well. Oh, girls, you know, put your keys between your fingers yeah. and then you can smack them in the face Absolutely. or in the stomach. Or in the balls. In the balls. Kick them in, the in the balls. Get them in the balls. We're not advocating that people go around punching men in the balls, by the way, but obviously you have to look after yourself. Just be Vigilant, I suppose, is all you can do, yeah. Well, you know what else you can do, Geordie? You can just, whatever you do, 
that doesn't really make any sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Sorry. Well, you know what, Michelle? Whatever you do in future. And wherever you are. In the world. In future. (laughs) In the world. Just Just keep keep eavesdropping. Better. Eavesdropping.